Hi everyone, uh, Dave here. Welcome to another episode of Legends of the Spy. Good to have you with us. Uh, now on the podcast this week, I have another goalkeeper with me. Uh, I've already had people like Bob Wilson, Steve Grizovich, Chris Marples, Tommy Lee, uh, Cameron Mason. So I've had loads of goalkeepers on the podcast, but this week I have another one as I spoke to Melvin Minter. Now, Melvin was part of the Chesterfield squad last season in the 21-22 season. Uh, after having a youth career at Brentford for a season, he went on to play for a lot of non-league clubs uh, and then had a full-time opportunity at Harrogate. He then joined us after that spell at Harrogate and was uh, second choice to Scott Loach last season under firstly uh, James Rose management uh, and then Paul Cooks. Obviously a lot to talk about that season. Uh, we had the highs of things like the cup run and that game against Chelsea and then obviously a lot of lows as well with the whole James Rowe saga uh, and ultimately just missing out on promotion as well. So good to get his thoughts um, on his season at the Spy Rights and also uh, funny things like the people uh, shooting uh, against him in training like uh, Danny Rowe, um, uh, Kabongo Shimanga, Quasi Asante. So we found out who he liked facing and who he didn't in training and then also had a chat about his spell as the goalkeeper on soccer am and that incredible video of him dancing in the dressing room last season that uh, absolutely flooded social media when it happened as always i'm at spy legends on uh, twitter and instagram and legends of the spy on facebook but i hope you enjoy uh, having a catch up uh, with melvin on last season's uh, roller coaster of a season uh, and here we are with the latest episode with melvin minter What's it like playing football in this weather? Yeah, the um the heat at the moment is crazy and um thankfully we've got like water breaks like within each half and stuff, but it's more of just managing your body body, making sure you're hydrated and just, just trying to stay as focused as you as you can. So it's difficult, but it's just something you have to deal with. I suppose as as like the keeper, sometimes you get with stadiums, don't you? One side of the pitch is in shade. Other side isn't very rarely you get the goals, do you? In shade, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So like some, t- like um, a few of our games, we're only two games into the season, but if there's no wind, which there hasn't been, it's been very humid. Um, I've always tried to get the the skipper to do the first half away from the sun. So mm. yeah, because the sun's obviously a, a big factor at the moment. So yeah, that plays a part. Ah, crikey. So, so uh, if we go right back to the start of your career, if that's all right. Um, yeah, that's cool. You started at, was it Brentford you were at as, as a youngster? Yeah, 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 yeah. I was, I was in the youth system there. Were, were you always like a keeper then, as, as a kid? Yeah, yeah. Growing up, I was always a goalkeeper. It's, it's funny because when I was in the school playground playing with my friends, like lunchtime, break time and stuff, I was actually playing at field. But um, like playing Sunday League from like my first Sunday League team to like to this day was always in goal. So mm. I think when I played outfield um, with like in the playground and stuff, it, it helped me to, to develop my feet, which is now an important factor in terms of being a modern day goalkeeper. But mm. I was always predominantly a goalkeeper for like from my first time ever playing football. And was football always your sport or were there any others? Um. Football was the main thing. Uh, I participated in other sports like athletics and stuff, but um, 
football was always the main focus and the only thing that had my interest at its peak. So, yeah. So how long were you at Brentford for then? I was only there for a season. Right. So um, the, 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 I was playing for a team called Hazen Yedden. I think they're... I think they're step three or step four now, but I was playing for their youth, youth team there and Brentford were watching me throughout the season and they invited me for a trial and and I was there for, I think, for about a month or two and um, signed for Brentford after that season. So, yeah. And that gave you a good taste for it then? Yeah, 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 yeah. So, um, it was, a. I think, the season I signed, Brentford were going for promotion in League One. So they got promoted at the end of that season in the end. Hmm. But um, that gave me a good um, sort of eye-opener in terms of what's required to try and a, um, what's required to try and achieve on a professional contract and like training regularly in a first-team environment. So no, it was good. It was a good experience. Yeah. And I noticed um, kind of after Brentford then, you, you played for uh, kind of a number of different clubs, didn't you? I was interested to kind of get your perspective if, if fans were looking at a good ground to visit or something like that if you had any any of your favourite grounds that you played at because you were at clubs like uh, Canby Island got North Greenford United Hayes Hendon any any of those kind yeah. of stick out for you? It's a, That's a good question I've never, no one's ever asked me that question before <laughs> the, the ground that sticks out in my head to be fair is a team that I played for which was Farnborough and they had like a a very good setup. there it's funny enough because they're in the same league as Concord, so I will play against them at some point in the season. But they're the dead when I was floating in and around step three, step four level coming out of academy football. Um, they were the they were the one of the teams that stood out in terms of their setup, their infrastructure, and how professionally they ran the club at a lower level. So I'll say Farnborough. Mm. So what did you kind of learn then in those in those early days, kind of going to clubs? Uh, around that. Yeah, um, floating around at that level, it really opened up my eyes about men's football and it was like my first type of experience at the age of 20 years of age and um, it really it really taught me like what is at stake and what you are required to do to add to your team's percentage in terms of earning a result because at the end of the day, that's what people are fighting for. People have livelihoods, people have desires, managers um managerial jobs are on the line so it really opened up my eyes and it helped me to accelerate my maturity in my own personal game yeah and I suppose you're having to balance things as well aren't they players at that level having to balance like yeah travel and stuff like that yeah so that was the first time I had to like find some sort of work on the side because football wasn't paying enough so you have to earn a living on the side as well so balancing that out and then also hearing other people's experiences in terms of people having kids, mortgages, like just a life, lifetime perspective and stuff is um is a big thing. And then also I think another unsung thing that a lot of lower league footballers go through is like if they've got a game on a Tuesday and they have like a full-time job that they commit to and say they play a, a, a very far away trip on a Tuesday night, they got to be up. They might get home at like one o'clock in the morning and then have to be up the next day at like 5 a.m. And then they have to go again. So it's not easy when you're not in full time, but you just have to adjust, I guess. Yeah, yeah. So, so, um, so one when I asked the fans, if, uh, like, have you got any questions? Uh, and, and one thing that cro- cropped up, and it was something I thought as well, is in terms of how you kept how you kept yourself motivated 
uh, kind of in that in that period of your career to keep kind of striving for that for becoming a full time goalkeeper? Because obviously, for a, a lot of players, they can they can kind of give up, can't they, quite quickly? Whereas you've obviously had kind of a dedication to it over the years. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's always something that I've kind of like grown up with and developed and probably increased that output more than anything else in recent years. But um, yeah, like the project, obviously signing for Chesterfield and looking at the project and um, the aim was promotion. And that was something I wanted to be a part of. And unfortunately, we didn't achieve that in the end. But just to keep striving and, and keep pushing every day. And for me, myself, I signed when I was 26 years of age. And as a goalkeeper, I've still got many more years ahead of me. So for me, it was more of a, a good experience being around a very good team in terms of our um, the personnel that we had. And um, yeah, I just had to keep pushing every single day. Like from the outside in, it did look like I was dedicated and I was committed, which I was at. But at times, a lot of things went on behind the scenes, which I won't go into, but I did have my frustrations. I did have things that I wanted to go my way in terms of playing time, etc., and stuff. So these are just things that are part of football at the end of the day. And sometimes you just have to get on with it and just move on to the next. Yeah, and, and speaking to what, nearly 60 former Chesterfield players, I think now, you kind of realise that, uh, you know, it's personal life, football life, everything else it's 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 never straightforward is it always kind yeah, of juggling yeah, various yeah. things yeah. Uh, and it's things that we sometimes as fans don't really appreciate that people might be yeah. going through certain things and still trying to be ambitious in a football career as well yeah 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 so so you had kind of your first taste then of uh of like full-time football after after going around a few clubs was Harrogate wasn't it yeah, so yeah, I'd say I, I was a professional for two years, so a year at Harrogate, a year at um, Chesterfield, and um, yeah, I'd done very, very well at my previous um, non-league club, um, Kings Landy, and um, I had a lot of things that I was doing in terms of social media as well that kind of helped my profile, and um, and yeah, thankfully, like Harrogate gave me an opportunity, and um, I signed there, and that, that was a good experience for me because I I lived up north for the first time and stuff, and um, living on my own and stuff, far away from home. It was the second time I've lived away from home, but um, being up north was my first time being up north in terms of that experience. And um, yeah, it was it was it was a weird one because that was the period where it was lockdown and there was COVID and stuff. So that whole season there was no supporters at all. So um, yeah, it was a bit weird in that sense. But the experience itself is something that will save me for life and. Um, just very grateful for more than anything else. So, what's the? Do, do you find yourself when you go full time? Then do you, do you does your game develop? You'd obviously expected a game to develop a lot quicker because you you're working on it full time. But do you kind of noticeably see the difference uh, in yourself from training and stuff? Yeah, yeah. Because in terms of part time and full time, full time you're in an environment with coaches that can work with you one to one as long as you want. So there's more time to be dedicated towards your craft in that environment. Mm. And then um, with part-time, you've got to juggle it around trying to earn a living as well on the side. So like, I think in that, in that aspect, you have less time for being dedicated to like your, your own personal craft. But at the same time, I think recovery as well, has an impact when you're playing part-time as well because you've got so much things to juggle versus 
when you're full time, you probably have more time to recover and 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 stuff. So yeah, it's, it's, it's a tough balance, but like I said, like you have to adjust that in the day and just get get on with it more than anything else. Do you find yourself saying to some of these players that have been full time for ten years, like you know, <laughs> you've got it, you've got it easy compared to? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But at the end of the day. Ultimately, if, if you have ambitions and you have aspirations and you want to be in that environment on a consistent basis, you've got to salute the players that have been doing it year in, year out because there's a reason why they, st- they stay at that level, they sustain it and they keep their shirts. So you've got to, you've got to applaud them, admire them. But at the same time, if you want to get in that environment, you have to earn it and then you just go from there. In it. So, so how did it all come about with Chesterfield then? How did that all come about? So, um, when I left Harrogate, um, I went to a few clubs. I went to, I went to Aldershot. I went to Barnet, Barnwood, and um, Chesterfield. Uh, they went on a pre-season tour, so I think they went to Loughborough mm-hmm. for a little pre-season tour, and they was there for a week. And um, they like, um, I was in contact with Dave O'Hare, which is a goalkeeper and coach still there now, and um, he got in contact with me and. Um, and I, I, I liaised with like my representative, which was my agent, um, liaised with the club. And I went there for a week and went to the training camp and just pretty much I knew, um, I knew Calvin Miller because Calvin Miller was at Harrogate before and mm-hmm. I knew Manny because Manny used to be at Brentford. So, um, I pretty much, um, those two like helped me to gel within the group. And I think it kind of helped being on a little tour with them because I got, I was able to get close and build like rapport and relationships with the boys straight away versus if I was going into training and then going home every single day, you ain't really got that time away from football to really know like what the boys are like and what their characters like and the banner and stuff. So I was in there for like the whole week and things went very well and um played in a few games and um yeah uh like I signed for the club and it was yeah it was a it was something that like I said I was very very grateful for. And, and as fans we hear quite a bit about Dave O'Hare. We kind of hear his name a lot, but we never really uh, hear from him to say, what's, what's he like as a coach? No, he's a very, very good coach. So um, we had a good goalkeeping unit of me, Scotty, Dylan as well, and Dave. And um, yeah, we just all gelled and, and really, really worked on helping each other. And um, yeah, he's a very, he's, a, he's, he's, his man management is very, very good. So like obviously on the training ground, working on like a lot of, different aspects like technical aspects game match related match related game scenarios um was very very good but off the pitch as well like how he is as a human being and how he treated you and 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 how he um gave you advice was as important as it was on the field so um yeah massive massive salute to him because that was the first time I'd worked with him so yeah it was a good experience working with him and what was that goalkeeping unit like because obviously you're all quite uh you're quite different, aren't you? You've got Scott Lowe yeah. been there and done it, veteran keeper, got loads of experience. Dylan, who's obviously right at the other end, now at Sheffield United, I think. Yeah. He's well for himself. What, yeah, he's like that kind of trio. Yeah. It was good because um, we used to do a lot of things. So we used to do like stuff like head tennis, do 2v2s. We used to have um, a lot of different... Uh, we had our own like WhatsApp group as well, just us as goalkeepers. So um, we used to have like different conversations about goalkeepers and stuff. So yeah, we were all different as a free but we all used to like push each other motivate each other and really really um just help each other more than anything else so like 
that was very, very refreshing. Like every single day going into training, none of us ever tossed off any sessions, whether it was with Dave or whether it was, um, it was um, joining in with the rest of the, the squad and stuff. So like, yeah, it was, it was very, very good. And we had, obviously we had a positive outlook on the season and unfortunately we didn't get the promotion that we wanted at the time. So that was a, that's, it's just life. And like, yeah, I've seen Scotty as well move on and Dylan move on. So yeah, it's, 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 it's good to see that Dave's still there and under new management, he's still thriving. So yeah. Yeah. Um, um, obviously, we hear a lot about the famous like goalkeepers union. How you all kind of back all back each other up, but obviously, it's it's a difficult position because unlike strikers, you can stick two on a pitch, you can stick three on a pitch. You know, you, you can only have one keeper, and then with the five kind of subs on the bench rule as well, it, it means that sometimes they're just going with one keeper in a, in a squad. Is it uh, when you're in a squad and and Scott Loach is there and is is kind of holding on to that number one shirt for you and Dylan? Is that quite obviously he's supportive and you want team to do well and him to do well, but you kind of want in your chance as well. Is it a bit of a fun yeah. yeah. On a, on yeah, on a personal note, it is tough mentally and you have to keep going like and keep going and keep going and keep staying ready for like when your opportunity comes more than anything else. And um, as a goalkeeper, it, it, it is what it is at the end of the day. I've been in positions where I've been the number one and played throughout the whole season. I've had somebody on my neck and they haven't got sniffed. So yeah, being at Chesterfield, that was a new experience for me, like being being one to obviously push Scotty and stuff. And um, I did think that when I got my opportunity, I did what I needed to do. Um, and um, and more than anything else, it just didn't work out at the end of the day. And um, I'm not one to just uh, go through the motions and sit around and not wanting to play. I'm just, I, I'd rather try and push on and, and um increase my development so for me like it was a good eye-opener it was a good experience and it's something that happens in life like so it's just one of them things and on a personal note you I wanted to play much more but it just didn't happen and if you're not playing then you've got to support the one that's doing the job and Scotty like fair play to Scotty said I think Scotty said to me that that was the best season he's had on a personal note in terms of keeping clean sheets in his career so Scotty's obviously played that a very very high level and um, done a lot of amazing things in his career. So yeah, it was good to obviously work with him and Dylan and Dave, and yeah, like all the best to them in their footballing journeys as well. Yeah, I tell you, you've obviously got a great attitude towards it all. It kind of uh, very much shines through. And uh, and yeah, I suppose last season goalkeeper was about the only part of the squad we didn't have an injury crisis. So yeah, it's, it's, yeah, you could have ended up you could have ended up up front at some point with the amount of injuries that we had. It was, it was incredible, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. I remember, yeah, because the five the five subs rule as well is difficult. It's more difficult, I think, for the bigger teams within the the national league because the bigger teams have bigger squads, and naturally, most of the bigger teams will have two goalkeepers fighting for one spot. So um, yeah, mo- the, the club's decision was to always had five outfield players on a on the bench. Um I was on the bench like here and there and stuff. But yeah, like there was a point where we had such a crazy injury crisis that if things continued, I might have I, I could have been named I might have had to come on as a sub, like as an outfielder if it got to that. I think there was a game where we I think it might have been Ultraman at home or something at home. I can't remember no I don't feel something. I think it was 
either Oldsman or Torquay, I can't remember, but there was a game where I was on the bench and it was only me and two others. I think it must have been me, Stefan Payne and and Nathan Tyson. And I think both of them did come on or they didn't come on. But if, say, for example, like three injuries happened, I might have had to come on off the bench as an outfielder. So, yeah, we had a crazy like injury crisis last season. And yeah, like that's just part of football, I guess. Yeah. Dolby. Murphy! And it's inches wide. It was a fine save from Minter. And the game still wide open. But Chesterfield looking to finish things off. Here is Shamanga. The top scorer is on his way through. And he may have finished it. Cabango Shamanga makes it 3-1. And you did have some chances, didn't you? You kind of used as the as the cup keeper, weren't you? So yeah. played against Curzon yeah. Ashton yeah. and South End, I think it was yeah. as well. Yeah. And like you say, you you kind of did did all right, didn't you, in those games? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think the, the South End game, I was a bit more rusty slash, I wouldn't say nervous, but rusty slash my decision-making wasn't at its greatest. But I think when you don't play for a long time and then you're being thrusted into play, them type of things will take you like three or four games on a, on a, on the bounce to to polish and smoothen up. So, I don't know, I don't make excuses and um, it is what it is. I just thought I did okay in, in both games more than anything. I think the, the Curzon game, I didn't have nothing to do, but the South End game where I had more stuff to do, I think had I been playing much more regularly, then maybe my decision-making might have been better, but that was a good experience for me to learn from and it helps me like future reference moving forward. Mm. And, and then obviously in the Cup also, you then were one of the subs in the Chelsea match. Uh, which must have just been yeah. great to be part of that whole experience. Yeah, yeah. that was an unbelievable experience because growing up, I've always been a Chelsea supporter. So funny enough, I was watching the Chelsea v Spurs game earlier and um, now I'm at a fun family function. But yeah, growing up, I've always been a Chelsea supporter. So like when the draw was made and stuff, um, it was just unbelievable. I couldn't believe it. And being there, like obviously, obviously, me being as a supporter, I've still got a job to do. I'm, I'm, I was still a Chesterfield player at the time, so like you have to be focused on everything. But from the outside in, like family, friends, close ones, loved ones, and people that I knew, like they were buzzing for me to be in that type of environment. So, um, yeah, that was a one in a lifetime opportunity. Like fair play to Scotty, Scotty. Um, that was obviously Scotty's time to obviously play in the game. It would have been amazing if I played in the game. But like I said, like it's just one of them things, isn't it? Like maybe in the future I may get opportunity, and that's me playing in the game rather than watching from the sideline. But the whole experience itself, like even Chelsea giving us the respect, putting out a very strong team mm. of world class players, like it was, it was amazing, man. And like I, I remember, I was in with like a whole bunch of fans walking from the tube station to the ground, and and you could just hear everyone. The the phones were pinging because the team had just been announced, and everyone was like. What? <laughs> what? What's uh, this playing? Was it a bit like that in the in the changing room as well? Yeah, yeah. Because when we we, it's funny because we done the analysis the day before, and the team that we expected wasn't the team that lined up. The team that we expected was more because I think they were I think they were playing Spurs in a Carabao Cup like a couple mm. of days after. Yeah. So the team that we expected, we expected them to rest like all them all their big hitters and their main men. And the team that we expected was a lot of 23s slash fringe players that weren't playing regularly. So when when the 
when we when when we when we got to the game and we saw Lukaku, Werner, Ziyech, like just the the, the world class stars, um, that was like a wow factor. And we we looked at each other and we all said as a group, like like realistically, we're not going to win the game, but we're going to give our all. And if we give our all, we'll, we'll, we will try and avoid like a hammering more than anything else in it, just so that we get some type of respect. And um, so like. Uh, like the, uh, I would like to say a big thank you for the supporters for singing us throughout the whole game from start to finish, even when it was three or four nil down at half time. Like it was, it was amazing, and that obviously helped the boys. And the biggest share of the day was when Aquazi scored. So, yeah, that was a that was an amazing experience, and I think the club deserved that, especially after what the club's been through for the last three four years coming out of the football league. So, yeah, mm. yeah, I think I probably said on the podcast before, but I think it was like the accumulation of years of kind of underachievement in that yeah. one goal. And I don't think yeah. fans from around the country really understood why 6,000 Chesterfield fans were going so yeah. crazy and we just yeah. scored at 5 nil down. But yeah. it's completely magical when we scored. It's so good. Yeah. One thing I will say, though, so I played the Curzon game and the South End game and then I expected to play the Salford game and, the, and James Rowe pulled me in the day before, two days before, and said to me that the club thought they had a, a good chance of winning the game. So they weren't going to, he weren't going to give the players that that played the South End game. He weren't going to play, I don't think he was going to play any of them. He was going to go with his strongest team. I can't remember who he played before that South Sulfur game, but he went with what he thought was his preferred team. So that was a bit disappointing on a personal note because I think if I played that Sulfur game, I might have played the Chelsea game. But like I said, like, Fair play to Scotty. It was Scotty's time, and he took his opportunity. He played well in the Silver game, and obviously we all contributed towards getting towards that Chelsea tie. So it's just one of them things. But being in a in a experience like that that I've never been in before, it really helped me to mature and be open minded. And obviously I had my disappointments, but I had to be I had to I had to move on from it very very quickly. Yeah, and obviously when I went out and said, "Have you got any questions?" Obviously, one question that everyone always asks is, "What was James Rowe like?" Because obviously, he's kind of it. He kind of left. We don't need to discuss why why he left, but it obviously was all a bit confusing. We're riding high, and then things happen, and suddenly he's gone. That must all be a bit confusing for all you guys when all that happens as well. Yeah. So um, yeah. There's a lot of things that went on behind the scenes that I will keep private and um, I won't go into, but. In terms of James Rowe, he did sign me. And um, in terms of him as a tactician and as a manager, he's probably one of the best that I've worked with in terms of him executing a game plan, the details in training, him knowing what the opposition were going to bring, like video analysis, him as a as an actual manager and a, a, a tactician and knowing the trajectory of where a game will go is one of the best that I've worked with on a personal note. But in terms of his man management, it was a, it was something new that I had worked with, and he had his own style and stuff. Like there was a lot of things that I won't go into. Mm-hmm. And um, he was, in terms of his character, he was more like Mama. He was either you liked him or you didn't like him. For me, like how he treated me was was more like in the middle. He was just cool with me, but I've seen how he was like with other people and other players. So. That's something I won't comment on. Yeah. But with me, I can only talk from my experience with him. He was cool and fine with me. So yeah, like it was a bit it was a bit crazy like how everything developed and 
and and everything went on behind the scenes. But that's for like like I said, like that's for like the club and for him to obviously deal with. And that's not my space or my business to really comment on. So yeah, yeah, totally respect that. Yeah, I, I think probably for us for us fans, it's all a bit confusing just because you see someone in their like pre and post match interviews, and they're probably. Uh, and I've spoken to other players before who've talked about other managers that have said, oh, you know, the manager that you see in front of a camera is not necessarily the same person that, you, yeah. that we see in the dressing room. Yeah. And that actually, uh, some can be very good at, uh, some can be very well, good at the media side to get the fans yeah. inside. Some can be really bad at the media side <laughs> and get the fans on the back. It's an interesting yeah, one. So, yeah, so, like, it was crazy as well because I think, I think the the more surprising thing more than anything else was the timing. We was doing very, very well. I think we was top or second when he left. He was obviously playing Chelsea. Like, the club was on an upward trajectory. We all had the target of getting automatic promotion. So, I think the timing more than anything else caught everybody by surprise, including us as players and, and everyone at the club. So, it was unfortunate, but it's just one of them life things. Like, you just have to get on with it. And usually when managers leave a club, they usually leave a club when things are deteriorating or things are going very, like very, very wrong. So um, obviously, Paul Cook coming back, he's obviously been at the club and had success at the club as well. So um, yeah, like he just came to 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 get us over the line more than anything else. And obviously, the injury crisis didn't help. But um, yeah, like he was he was a completely different manager compared to James Raw. Yeah. So what kind of manager is Paul Cook like? Because I've, I've met him before and I've had him on the podcast, obviously, and he's like such an infectious character, it seems. Yeah. So, yeah, to be fair, um, as a manager, Paul Cook um, had his own like playing style, which was different to what James Rowe had done. He had his own type of identity that he wanted to implement into the squad. I think at the time, in terms of the squad and the personnel that we had, we didn't have the, the identity that he wanted at the time in terms of like playing style and the positions and the personnel and certain positions and stuff. So, um, yeah, like, it was it was a bit tough, like, in terms of the transition and him wanting to change things. But I think the players gave it his all. And in terms of, we had, a, we had a few things that went on behind the scenes that we didn't see eye to eye on and agree on and stuff, which, um, which, is, which goes back to what I was talking about in terms of playing time and things that I wanted for myself on a personal note, which I won't go into, but in terms of how he treated me, like I said, like with James Rowe, James Rowe, he was cool. Like there was no issues with him, like very, very professional type of relationship. And he's got an infectious um, character. So yeah, like it's good to see that the club's obviously started off very, very solidly. And um, yeah, it's good to see that he's brought in the players that he wants to obviously help the club get back to where they want to get to. So yeah, me and Paul, we had a, we had a very professional relationship. One question uh, a, f- a few people asked was, uh, "Who, who's who, what are the strikers that are at the club? Whose shots didn't you want to face in training?" Because I mean, I mean, Danny Rowe was obviously out for quite a period, but he can thump a ball. And then you've got some others that are, I mean, have got deadly strikers at that club. Yeah, uh, training. yeah. If so, when I signed, Cab signed after me. No, Cab signed. Cab signed the same time when I signed, and then there was already Danny Rowe, Stefan Payne. Nathan Tyson and Tom Denton were both injured at the same time. So, um, yeah, and t- oh, that's a good question, you know. I think out of all of our strikers, Cabs was probably the most clinical in terms of finishing. He was probably the best 
out of the pack in terms of finishing. But I think the ones that I didn't want to face in training was either Danny Rowe or Stefan Payne. Stefan, Danny Rowe's shots were probably harder, but Stefan Payne's was was um he was he was very consistent with his his finishing in terms of shot power and accuracy and stuff in training. So I'll probably say Danny Rowe or Stefan Payne. Danny Rowe, he can hit it from anywhere and, mm. and like with minimum backlift, he's hitting the target minimum. So when he came back from his injury, he obviously helped us and um it was unfortunate for him to get like his situation again. Mm. But yeah, I say I've I say Stefan Payne and Danny Rowe are the two worst ones, but Cabs had the best finishing out of the group. So yeah. Yeah. Do you, do you stay in do you stay in touch with uh, with a few of the players from around yeah. the club? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I still oh yeah, I I even forgot about Quasi. A quasi a quasi is another one. He had good finishing as well. He was probably he was probably up there in terms of top three in terms of finishing. I thought Cavs was probably the best out of the group. But in terms of your question, I do keep in, in contact with a lot of the boys and a lot of the boys that's left as well. So yeah, like a lot of the boys I still keep in contact with. And and now you're you're back to being the number one again, aren't you? So you're you're Concord yeah. now. And it looks yeah. like from the first couple of games of the season, I've seen kind of, you know, play of the matches and team of the weeks and things like that. It seems to be going well so far. Yeah, yeah, still early days. Um yeah, so um signed at Concord and I took the decision to to take a step back so I could potentially take more steps forward in future and um yeah, being given the opportunity to to play and we've started off very, very solidly. Um, two one no wins, one away from home, one one at home, and um, yeah, as a I've had, I wouldn't say I've had a lot to do, but my experience and um and my contribution to the team's helped. So hopefully, long may that continue. But as 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 football is like, it's a marathon. Like things change very, very quickly, and um, as a group, we won't get ahead of ourselves. We've got a bit of a young group. I'm 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 more one of the I'm more of one of the older heads within the group. I think my experiences being at Chesterfield and being at Harrogate and stuff will like help obviously advise and guide like uh, the majority of the group and help us to really, really like push on for this season. So yeah. And obviously as a goalkeeper, you're still quite a young goalkeeper, aren't you? You know, you're fortunate in your, your position, you can you can play till you're fifty, can't you? <laughs> <laughs> so it's it's great that you've got like the opportunity, haven't you, to uh, yeah. Like you say, have a great season at Concord, and then suddenly you're at you could be in a full time national league, or yeah. you yeah. know, and, and kind of take that step forward again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, Concord, Concord were a few a few other clubs um, within the same level that I'd spoken to, and um, looking at Concord's project, and like they finished in mid table last season, but they finished ten points off the playoffs. So like the managers, the, it was the managers' first season at that level last season so this season he's kind of he's added more quality in terms of quanti- in ter- instead of quantity and he's added more experience in terms of the spine of the group and um, the aim is to do better than last season and be one of the underdogs that really really makes a push into that playoff spot because I think last season there was a team called Chippenham Town and they weren't one of the fancy teams and they got to one of the playoffs they got into the playoffs um, last season in the National South so we've had a good start but it's only down to us to maintain it and um, we'll just focus on the next one. So we've got another game on Tuesday and we're looking forward to that and just pushing on to the next, I guess. Mm. And then over, hopefully I have a successful season and and I hit my personal targets and uh, it helps the club achieve its own targets. And um, yeah, that could be me 
that sets me up for like moving forward as a number one more than anything else. So I focus on what's happening then and now, and the rest of it will take care of itself, I guess. Yeah. And a final few questions really for me, but you know, as a as a as a keeper, then you know, strikers obviously aim, aim for twenty goals a season. So what do you aim for as a as a keeper? How many clean sheets? I've got a clean sheet target in my head. Um, I will keep that personal to myself, and um, if I do achieve it at the end of the season, then I will announce it publicly. But um, two and two is not is not is not a bad start. So I'm on the way to hitting my seasonal target, I guess. So I think if I do hit my target and I exceed that, then I'll look for what's the next target after that. So I've got a personal target I've kept to myself and uh, I want to keep that private. So hopefully I can contribute towards the team and helping the team like just push on, really. Quite a few people mentioned it, but the whole Soccer AM time, obviously it was, uh, I mean, that must have been good fun. Uh, (laughs) Were you kind of juggling that with... With also playing football and, and yeah, it's been strange. Yeah, that was an incredible experience because um, it helped me have a digital presence more than anything else, like in terms of social media and really, really pushing me out there. And um, yeah, having to juggle that and still go and play on a Saturday for my um, one of my previous teams, Kings Langley, before I went to Harrogate, was um, was crazy. But life's about adjusting, and if you if you if you focus on what's important, what's going to help you like progress, then you can always find a way and like work around things. And yeah, thankfully Sky gave me the opportunity. They wanted to give me the opportunity on a full-time basis, but I still had ambitions to obviously progress within my footballing career. So um, for me, I, I'm just thankful that they gave me the opportunity to juggle it with, with what I was doing and um, went on and enjoyed my time, met a lot of high-profile individuals that I still keep in contact to this day. And um, yeah, like just pretty much went there with the intention of using that platform to help me, and it, it really did. So I'm just, I'm just more grateful and appreciative of that opportunity. In the sticks, that's in Baller's mouth. Okay, Daniel De Rossi retired this week. Uh, which club did he finish his career at? Guess. Guess. Boston Juniors. It's a hell of a guess. The right answer. It's the right answer. You're off again, Jack. What a sign. This is awesome. Luka Modric scored his 100th career goal this week, but who against? Valencia. Valencia. See, I have a answer. You're off again, Jay. What you got? And, and last question, really. Uh, it was probably obviously going to come up, but the dance in the dressing room, which obviously went a bit viral uh, <laughs> at the time, is like a gift that has been used over and over and over again. Fans. Uh, what's the story behind that dance? That day was so embarrassing because... Um, so when James Rowe was manager, we used to do uh, Donkey of the Week, which was Worst Trainer, and Play of the Week. So... I think that must have been the time when we played Curzon Ashton and I, and I played well. So usually when we do training of the week, the boys don't really judge it off who's trained well unless we don't have a, a, a game in midweek. They usually judge it off who's played well in the last game. So I played well in that Curzon game and then leading up to, I can't remember who played after Curzon, but in that training week, I was training well as well. Mm. Me and uh, it was Crowley. 
it was Crowley, Luke Crow. So um, we both were trainers of the week and uh, usually when we when we pick trainer of the week and donkey of the week, we sit in the training, we sit in the dressing room and we all decide like one by one, like who do we pick? And me and Crowley came to a tie. So Gaffer like randomly turned around and said that you've got to do a dance-off. And I thought he was bantering. And he's like, no, you've got to do a dance-off. <laughs> and it came about five minutes to convince me and Crowley to do it because we weren't keen, we weren't keen on doing it. We wanted to do something else like let us do a race or spin of a coin and Gaffer said we had to do a dance-off. So I was so embarrassed and um yeah, I had to I had to just put my all into all into it and do the dance-off. And it's funny because I actually won the 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 dance off between me and Crowley and there's it's just one of them things that is just a funny moment more than anything else. I was very embarrassed when and he said no phones were allowed and when the music started everyone's got their phones up. So like literally like he's put me in the deep end and there was no going back after that. Was it Curtis Weston that that was the culprit that put it on Instagram or wherever it was? Yeah, Curtis Weston, Danny Roll, all of the boys pretty much like had their phones out. So yeah, it just it's just one of them things, I guess. A bit of entertainment for the supporters. No, well, we loved it, and and no doubt if if we win the title this season, uh, no doubt that that, <laughs> that will come out again. <laughs> probably, even though you'll you'll probably be winning a title at Concord instead, it'll still, <laughs> it'll still come out with us. <laughs> <laughs> well, th- thanks very much for uh, for giving me a, a, a chunkier time. It's, it was obviously it was great to have you at the club. Yeah. Uh, it would have been great to see you in a few more games, but obviously uh, Scott Loach wasn't budging, was he, from that position? Nah, but I hope nah. everything goes well at Concord, and uh, if we've got any spy rights, that's that area of the country. I'm sure they'll come and give you a visit and give you a cheer. Appreciate the um, appreciate you um giving me the time to come on your platform and um. Really, really thankful for uh, your support as well over last season when I was at the club.